Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Deplorable Nation. I'm your host, Deplorable Janet, and today um, I am going to be in, doing an episode by myself again. It may be an absolute and total shit show. However, I need to get some things off of my chest and update people who have been in the know on what's going on in my life and <laughs> the, the turns that it has taken lately. So this episode is going to be called The Tumultuous Storm for a specific reason. This episode, I hope, will give people um, strength through struggle uh, and you will learn certain very important messages as far as your rights go in the medical community. So anyway, everybody that that listens to the show knows that I have had some things going on with uh, my family. And so for those of you who are new tuning in, my mother has rapid onset breast cancer. And she decided to go ahead and do radiation treatments. So she's been doing those uh, for about a month now. Um, my daughter has had some issues with depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, things like that. But something new that came up, she's been having lots of unexplained um stomach pain, things like that. So initially they found that she had a very enlarged liver, um, which led to a whole host of health problems. And then they discovered, or so they say, that her gallbladder was not functioning. Uh, it was less than 8% ejection fraction, which basically the gallbladder uh, stores up bile until you need it. And then ejects it into your system to help break down food. The normal uh, ejection fraction for that is 30 to 35%, and hers was less than 8. So they scheduled her for surgery. So I went to Indiana, and um, we get to the hospital to have her gallbladder surgery done. But prior to getting there, we had received or she had received, I should say, um, online requests to fill out admission paperwork. So she called me one day before I ever went up there, and she was reading me some things, and she said, Mom, I'm, I'm super concerned about these two parts. Can I read them to you? And so I'm like, sure, let's, let's talk about it, and, and we'll go from there. And so the first part on these admission papers <clears throat> which they want you to do electronically, by the way, is that you give complete and total consent for experimental and non-clinically tested medications and treatments of their choosing. And I said, oh, absolutely not. That is not okay in any situation, any way, shape, or form. Do not sign that. And she said, well, get this. Here's the second part. Consent to genetic testing, tissue and sample removal, 
sale of said materials for research purposes with no liability or legal reason for informed consent or release of results um, or sale to outside parties. So basically, they can remove something from you without your permission, do genetic testing on it, or sell it to other people along with your biometric data, which means um, anything about you, you know, your, your age, your weight, your social security number, you know, literally anything. So all of your private information can go to someone else. But here's the kicker. They don't have to tell you that they did any of this. They don't have to get your consent because there's no place to decline either one of these two things. And so at any given moment, and they don't have to tell you test results. If, if they did any kind of testing, they don't have to tell you. And so I said, don't sign it. When we get to the hospital, we'll make them print it out. And then you can handwrite next to it that you don't consent to these things. And that way, if something happens, you have legal recourse. So we get to the hospital. Um, she goes to admitting and the lady's like, well, I need you to sign all this. And of course, they do it on an iPad now. And I said, uh, are you going to ask about that? And she said, yes. Yeah. She said, I'd like you to print this out because there are two things I don't consent to. And the lady told her, well, if you don't consent, that negates your surgery. And so you're just going to have to turn around and go home. And so, you know, my daughter brought it up again and she's like, can you explain these things to me and why these are in admission papers? Because 99% of people are not going to read anything that they're signing. And so the lady got really perturbed and very shitty. And she's like, where does he even say that at? So of course my daughter pulls out her phone and, and she's reading all this information to the lady and the lady's like, well, fine, don't sign it. And then you can just go away. Well, my daughter had been in so much pain and wanted to have the surgery done. So she goes ahead and signs the forms anyway. Then the ladies will we'll go through these doors and, and that'll take you back to the pre-surgical area and they'll get you all set up. If you have any questions, you can ask them back there about what your concerns were. And so my daughter said, is it okay if we go to the bathroom out here? And she said, absolutely. So we go to the restroom in the lobby and there is literally the most giant puddle of stale urine. Stuck to high heaven. It looked like a lake. And I don't know if like that person had been holding their bladder for a really long time or what. But anyway, that was in the bathroom. So I go back out to the same shitty person and told her she might want to call housekeeping to clean that up. Because number one, it's disgusting. And number two, it's a slip and fall hazard for people that are coming in and out of the hospital. And of course, she was irritated because she had to get some to, someone to help. So anyway, we do that, go in the pre-surgical area, and they immediately demand a urine from her. And she can't go. And they're like, well, we're going to have to delay your surgery if you can't leave a urine because we need to know you're not pregnant. 
And so she can't go to the bathroom. And I'm like, well, can't you draw a, a blood test for that? So they finally give up and decide they're going to do a blood stick. Can't, can't get her blood. The person doesn't know what the hell they're doing. Can't get an IV started. And then they come in and they're like, well, we're going to give you these uh, five meds. It's a new procedure that we have that that we instated, and these are supposed to work on your pain receptors so that you won't need pain meds or as many pain meds after your surgery. And it was the weirdest shit to me. Some of this makes sense. Um, they gave her Zofran, which is for nausea. Okay, great. Ibuprofen. Potassium. Neurontin which is used in a lot of people that have um, really bad diabetes, that have uh, leg pain, arm pain, you know, things like that, like neuropathy type stuff. But it has very nasty side effects, um, <clears throat> can make people have seizures and, and all kinds of other shit. And then Celebrex, which is for arthritis. So I'm like, woo, I don't know if you want to take those or not. And they're like, again, if you don't want to take these, this is our protocol, then you, you won't have your surgery. So she's like, oh, mom, stop being a pain in the ass. I'm just going to do it, whatever. And so every time I would try to like speak up or tell her something, you know, this is not okay or, or whatever, she would get really mad at me. And she's like, mom, just hush. This is important. I don't feel good and I need to have this done. So the surgeon comes in and she's like, um, the surgery is going to take like 35 to 40 minutes and then she'll go to recovery and, and whatever. It'll be fine. Literally two minutes before they come to get her for her surgery, she gets notice from the state um, that she's going to lose her insurance. So, She's already in panic mode because she's afraid her surgery is not going to be covered and, and all this crap. They get a, they, she's like, I, I told her, I'm like, you know, we'll fight it afterwards if, if that's what happens. So anyway, she, they take her back for surgery and she is gone literally three hours. I'm getting worried. I'm like, okay, now that's a lot longer than what the surgery was supposed to take. It's a lot longer than what the surgeon said. Definitely something going on. So about three and a half hours later, the surgeon comes in and, and says, well, she's in recovery now. It should take about an hour and then we'll bring her back here to the pre-surgical area. And, and this is where you guys will be discharged from. So I waited and waited and waited and almost four hours later uh she's brought back and i'm worried to death because anytime somebody's in recovery longer than is necessary it's a red flag um so i'm like super nervous about this you know i was like something something had to have gone haywire wrong so anyway we have this really nice nurse and she's like you can't be discharged and until she pees and she goes 
but I want to let you know, um, there were some complications, so she may not be able to go. So we sat there for like another three hours. This time it is late at night, way past the time where all of these people in the outpatient surgery department were supposed to go home. She can't pee. She's having troubles in massive amounts of pain. And the nurse says, again, there were some complications back there. And she may not be able to go to the bathroom for a while. And I'm like, okay, what the hell's going on? And so, you know, they, they can't get her pain under control, even though their protocol says, oh, everything's fine. So we don't know what the complications are. The nurse won't tell us what the complications are. And, you know, and then... Finally, somebody else comes in and they say, well, they had her, they had a really hard time getting her gallbladder out because the liver was so enlarged. Um, and so they're like, finally, uh, hours later, she's able to pee. We go home and I'm staying with her. And, and mind you, I, I was there for almost three weeks, um, just like a day short of three weeks. And Usually the pain lasts one to two weeks, no longer, but each day it gets better and better. The pain wasn't getting any better. It was worsening. She was like going backwards. She's having these massive dizzy spells with clamminess that lasts like three to six hours long. She's vomiting. She's confused. Her skin's discolored. She got a really low pulse rate. She's really fatigued. She can't stay conscious for very long. She's having chest pain. And so we call the surgeon's office and they referred us to the ER. So we get to the ER. There is nobody working in admitting. We waited for like 25 minutes before someone finally shows up. And the whole time I'm like, well, I hope nobody comes in with a gunshot wound or chest pain, having a heart attack or stroke or anything because they're going to die in the lobby because there's no one here. And so she's again like, mom, just be quiet. Like, just, you know, calm down. I'm like, it's going to be okay. Blah, blah, blah. So we we finally get somebody to show up and then they have to tell us all about how you know, <clears throat> they're short staffed and they've been like, it's been so crazy for them. And they've had training and they've had blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't give a fuck. I'm by that time, I'm pissed. I'm worried for her, you know, the whole nine yards. Finally get taken back into a room. And it was an hour before anyone comes in. But it wasn't a nurse, wasn't a doctor. It was literally somebody from admitting. Hey, sign these papers. I need to verify this is you. Blah, blah. So two hours later, we finally get a nurse that shows up. And I'm trying to explain to him. She just had gallbladder surgery done. And there were some complications. The surgeon said to come in. This is all the symptoms. This is what's going on. 
And so they're like, oh, well, you know, we'll like check her for strip. And and I'm like, what the fuck? No. She doesn't have strep. She doesn't have COVID. She just had fucking surgery. The surgeon sent us here because these are not symptoms of COVID or any other cockamamie horseshit that you want to come up with. Something is wrong. So I asked them to do a CT scan since she already had found to be having an enlarged liver. I asked him to do, you know, cardiac blood work to find out what the hell's going on with the chest vein and the confusion and all of that stuff. And so they draw blood. Again, they try to get a urine. She's still having trouble peeing. Can't pee. Don't know what the hell's going on. And so we sat there for like six hours. And then she finally gets taken down for a CT scan to find out what's going on with her abdomen and, and what what the deal is. So during the meantime, there was a, quote, shift change. We were assigned a nurse. And in, I don't know, <clears throat> 10 hours that we were there, we saw a nurse once uh, and then never saw the new person that they assigned to us at all. And so after all of that time and all day long waiting and you know, she's in massive excruciating pain. No one's checking on her. They kept unhooking her pulse ox and her blood pressure cuff and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And every time she'd try to go pee, they'd have to come back and, you know, unhook her from the IV, which I can do. And I did multiple times, but I thought, you know what? I don't work here. I'm not going to do their job for them because they're lazy. I had gone out to the nurse's station multiple times to ask for a blanket and they're all just sitting there playing on their phones or chit-chatting. So I'm getting really pissed, really, really pissed. And so after all this time, somebody comes in and they're like, oh, well, did, did your nurse so-and-so explain things to you? And we're like, uh, we don't know who that is. We never saw him. Because the guy we had initially at the two-hour mark was a dude. So she's like, well, I'm going to discharge you. Everything is fine. Everything's normal. You're going to go home. And I, the doctor comes in and I said, can you tell me about the dizzy spells? I'm very concerned about that. I'm concerned about the confusion and the can't stay conscious for a while and the clammy skin and all of then the chest pain and all of these things. And he said, those are normal for a person of her age. So don't worry people. She's 24 years old, just turned 24. And so I don't know in what world that's supposed to be normal. Um, but they refused to do anything. He's like, oh, just follow up with your surgeon. Well, guess what? Surgeon's on vacation. So, of course, we're discharged again. We go home. 
she's still having all these same symptoms. She's not getting any better. She's going backwards. She's having uh, worse pain than she's ever had. And she kept telling me that she felt like she died during surgery. And I thought, oh, it's just, you know, anxiety or your mind's playing tricks on you. Of course, I didn't tell her these things, but that's what I'm thinking to myself. In the meantime, I had made her request medical records because any and every time you have something done, whether it's blood work, urine test, uh, chest x-rays, literally anything, get a copy and keep a file at home. Read through them. Know what your stuff says because I guarantee you there's things in there that you're not aware of. So she calls to check on medical records and they're like, oh, it's still going to be, it could be up to 20 days before you get your medical records. And I said, guess what though? You have access to electronic medical records through your patient portal. Let's look and see what it says. So here's the interesting kicker. And this is where it starts off. This is the very first thing we noticed. So keep in mind, they said at the beginning that her gallbladder was non-functioning. And so she needed to have it out because it was diseased and, and not working. Well, guess what? That's not what the report said at all. She had gallstones, which were not causing any kind of blockage whatsoever. So, hmm, red flag number one. So we wait a couple of hours and the surgical report pops up and I'm reading through it. And I'm like, hmm, weird. There are no complications during surgery. Interesting. So we're seeing her, her lab work and it's showing infection from the ER which they didn't address. Um, all of these things are showing up, which they told her were normal, which they weren't. So there was a urinary infection. There was some kind of infection in the blood. There was all these things going on. And so we wait a little while longer. And then the recovery room report shows up. People, I want you to know I am being as nice as humanly possible at this particular moment. But this is a teachable moment and a learning lesson for people. When I say, by God, you better request your medical records, I mean it. My daughter was overdosed on fentanyl and Dilaudid. Not once, but twice. They gave her naloxone to reverse the overdose both times. Didn't work. So they added atropine um, to bring her heart rate up because her heart rate dropped below 35 twice. They caused a cardiac crisis to occur. It plummeted her potassium levels. So she had seizure type activity. Um, she was suffering from opioid poisoning, opioid toxicity. 
it when I'm reading this report, I'm like, I know what it is. I know what's wrong with her. That is where I got the opioid poisoning from because they had overdosed her so badly in the hospital multiple times, plus giving her narcotics at home. If you look that up, it is literally every symptom in the book that she was having. So I told her, you have to stop taking the narcotics. We have to detox you immediately. So we had multiple days, which were quite the struggle. However, as soon as that got out of her system, all of the shit went away. The pain was fine. The nausea and vomiting was gone. The dizzy spells were gone. The weird colored skin, the clamminess, literally everything she had. Her, her blood pressure was back to normal. Her pulse was back to normal. So, while I'm struggling trying to take care of her, my mom starts having massive side effects from the radiation. So during this time, she can't help me. My dad had a broken foot and had double cataract surgery two days after my daughter had surgery. He can't see and his dementia is worse. And so I'm trying to play nursemaid, 24-hour care, uh, plumber, repairman, laundry person, maid, literally to three people around the clock. And I have no help. I don't have any friends in my hometown anymore um, because they've all moved away. My, my family can't help because they're all fucked up. And I just want you to know, I, and, and this is going to sound so weird to people, but I am so proud of being able to weather this storm because it was so much. I wasn't sleeping. I was in excruciating pain from, you know, lifting and and doing all these things and I kept praying and praying and praying God just give me the strength I need to get through another day I need you to be with me Lord I can't handle all of these things on my own and I'm telling you what it is the weirdest thing ever but I feel like I have a secret superpower and that ladies and gentlemen is God because without my belief in God, I would not have made it through that three weeks because the emotional toll it was taking, the physical toll it was taking was so great on my body. I'm like, oh, Lord, I don't have any more gas in my tank. Like, I need you to fill me up again. I need you to help take some of this off my shoulders and so it was only through prayer that these things subsided and got better and that I was lucky enough to be there 
to look through her records and to know what was wrong with her and what needed to be done. You cannot trust the medical industry. And I can say that as somebody that worked in the medical industry for decades. You have to know your rights as a patient. You have to know what you will and will not consent to. And you have to request your medical records. Ask for detailed billing. Because in this whole situation, and we are still waiting on full records. And the only reason I'm talking about this now is because... My daughter, God bless her heart, did not want to sue anyone. She just wanted to get better. Now me, on the other hand, I would go after them like a pit bull because they lied to her about test results. They billed her and charged her for things that she never had, that they never did, that she never received. Um, you know, they fucked up, they fucked up in the recovery room and it's like, oh, well, you know, whatever. And so believing a patient always when they tell you something is wrong, like this doesn't, you know, make sense, whatever research for yourself, know what you're looking at, know what you're getting into. And so I just, I, you know, things have not been easy, let's say, um, since the first of the year for my family. And people know I've said this before. Um, everybody's vaccinated except me. <laughs> as far as my immediate family goes, you know. And so these are things to consider health-wise is you know, all these rapid onset, sudden things and, and pain in the abdomen and things like that, which affect your, your kidneys and your liver and, and all of your organs are involved. And so I just want to say again, um, when you are going through trials in life, never never get so caught up with with your yourself and focusing on yourself that you lose sight of what's important and that's god because god gives us the strength to go through things and when we're weak if we call on him he will fix things he will calm the seas he will part the waters and i can honestly say and this may sound boastful or whatever but it's not. I am glad that the person who sh had to shoulder these things and all of these things that were going wrong all at the same time, I'm glad it was me because I have the wherewithal to pray and I have the knowledge that I need, not just for myself, but God-given, you know, knowledge to, to get through things and to know things and to help people. And so I'm glad it was me and not someone else in my family that had to shoulder all of that burden because it would have been a very different thing. And um, 
it's how we handle things and how we approach things in life when when we're going through turmoil and struggle and you know all of that stuff and keeping a positive mindset and knowing that you're you're doing the right thing and you're where you're supposed to be god puts you in the middle of a storm sometimes so that you can be strengthened by the things that are happening learn lessons while you're going through it and being able to show grace and mercy to other people. Um, and so anyway, I just, it's going to be a really short show today. I just wanted to give an episode and let you guys know uh, why I haven't done a show for a while because it has been um, a super interesting several weeks and um, I'm back home now. I'm, <laughs> quote recovering <laughs> I guess you could say trying to recharge my batteries um, so that I can take on the next task or challenge or storm that is thrown my way and so you know like I said I just hope that this uh, helps somebody that's going through something uh, you may not be able to identify with the the struggles that I went through personally Um but whatever it is, never give up and never lose sight of the bigger picture that God is in control and his will be done, not ours. And so it's really hard sometimes when you're in the middle of a massive turmoil or, or a storm like that to be like, oh, I'm so tired. I don't want to do this anymore or lose focus of, of whose plan it is and why. Um, we need to to go through these things sometimes in life. It's it's never easy, um, and and sometimes you know we come out the other side always as a better person. But sometimes it's really hard as a human being to uh, lose sight of your faith or um, lose a little bit of belief. Even the apostles were human, right? And so there were times where they were doubters or or they didn't have, you know, they would lose sight of things or lose belief in, in God. So just know that you are never alone. Um, I am here for literally every single listener and uh, all of my friends, all of my family. I hope you know I, I love you all so much. I want to give a huge thank you to all of you. Uh, especially Ellie, um, Agnew, all, all of the people that literally, and Jen um, from Legit Bat, everybody that literally checked on me and helped me keep my sanity. I had people volunteer to fly out to help me. Um, and so thank you to all of those people for trying to help keep me sane or just being a sounding board when I needed it. Um, thank you to Ellie and Julia for the beautiful episode that you guys did together on speed bumps. Um, your testimony to your faith is, is a beautiful thing. And thank you for sharing that. Thank you for the kind words that you said about me. Um, and like I said, if, if anybody needs help, um, or just someone to talk to while they're going through something, uh, I'm here always. And so don't be afraid to reach out 
because I love each and every one of you. I appreciate you. And I am so humbled, um, you know, to call you all friends. And so anyway, that's it today. I just wanted to give a, a quick update now that I'm back home and hopefully, <laughs> woo, hopefully things are going to calm down for a while so that uh, I can get on with, with doing, you know, taking care of my husband and, and things like that now and myself. Uh, I, I need a recharge reboot for sure. So, uh, anyway, I love you all and, uh, thanks so much for listening and I'll see you again next time. Have a good one.